Welcome to Job Tales, the podcast where you find dozens of interviews and learn about your potential future favorite job. My guest today is John Bosley, Aviation Safety Inspector. In the next 25 minutes, you will learn about John's work at the Federal Aviation Administration, the future of aviation, and some humanitarian work related to the field. John Bosley is with me. Uh, thank you very much for being um, at such a short notice, I guess, at my podcast. I am uh, very excited about your job because it's very close to my job. So can you tell in a nutshell what is your job and what you do? Hello, I'm an aviation safety inspector with the Federal Aviation Administration. This is actually a pinnacle of uh, my aviation career after uh, 21 years in the Army, all rotorcraft and then general aviation uh, maintenance and, and including Sikorsky Helicopter Corporation. So currently with the Federal Aviation Administration, I'm a safety inspector. My duties could include helping people establish a flight school if they wanted to come up with a flight school or a repair station. Also, I have to investigate accidents which are very rare, which is good because we have a very good safety record. So uh, accidents are rare, but uh, that sometimes when the phone rings, that's what I have to do. I investigate complaints from the public. If the public ever has any complaints about low flying aircraft, I might have to get involved in that. And then some very administrative tasks like name changes on license, hotline complaints, just some things that You wouldn't even expect that I would have to do, but it, it comes with the territory. But every day I'm at, you know, whatever the taxpayer wants me to do at that time when the phone rings at the Federal Aviation Administration, myself and a team, we, we get it done. And, um, but a lot of surveillance, just making sure that everyone in aviation is doing the job according with the rules. And they do. And I'm very glad. <laughs> so if I understand correctly, you're both on site and on call. Is that right? Yes. So I go to an office every, every day, but when I'm on accident standby, that's from the house. So when the phone could ring and uh, unfortunately I might have to go to an accident scene. Okay. And you said that it's a pinnacle of a career. So what comes before this? So yeah, so it's a, it's a pinnacle. Most people that join the Federal Aviation Administration, they probably already have 15 years of, uh, they could be a charter pilot with 15 years or me with a, a maintenance background, because when you join the Federal Aviation Administration, you need to have a really good experience level of what's really going right and wrong with aviation. It wouldn't be fair to join the Federal Aviation Administration if you didn't have any experience because you wouldn't have anything to, to, to know what right looks like. So typically, if you're coming into the agency from a maintenance background, you're going to start off as a mechanic somewhere. You're going to be a, a regular mechanic that came from a, a school and then you get your license and, and you're going to go work for the airlines or general aviation. Your career, you're going to progress. You're going to be a regular mechanic and then you're going to become an inspector and you might even be a, a low level manager. So you're, you're just going to do step by step, increased responsibilities, increased authority, And then you're going to decide, interesting, I wonder what it's like working from the other side, the government side. And people make a decision to uh, leave what they're comfortable at and they go into the agency. And then they realize that there's so much they didn't even know. That, and you just start learning, uh, starting with day one. <laughs> what is the most uh, interesting thing you've learned uh, once you've stepped into FAA? 
So you immediately learn that there's a lot of rules that you didn't know existed. <laughs> okay. You're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was a rule because there's so many rules and it's impossible to memorize them all. But you also realize that aviation is what's called self-regulated. There's only a, a very few inspectors, but there's thousands of airmen, pilots, businesses. So the agency, they are demanding that the business, the aviators, that they're called self-regulated, that they do the right thing even when no one's watching. And it does work that way. It's all checks and balances. Most people do the right thing all the time and, and that's expected and that helps the whole process go smoothly. So you learn that it's all teamwork in aviation. So in order to come to this point in your life, in your professional life, what did you have to study prior to this? So if you want to become a, an airframe and power plant mechanic, that's the license required in the United States, you have to have 30 months experience on aircraft, mm. or you can go to a technical school and they're called part 147 school. So you have two paths. You can either get the experience working at an airport, your friend's garage, a uh, hangar, you get the 30 months experience and then you're allowed to take the test or you go to a school and then they, it's concentrated, of course, like two semesters. And then once you graduate from the school, you're allowed to take the test. But regardless of what path you take, you're both going to end up taking the airframe and power plant test. And that consists of three written tests, general airframe and power plant, and then an oral and practical with a designated mechanic examiner. And once you're, you're licensed, we call it the license to learn because you're just going to take that license. You're going to go to your next employer and you're still just going to constantly learn, learn, learn. Okay. Yeah, fascinating. Is there some specific skills, be it soft or hard skills, that you would say are necessary for your line of work? Yes. So now I have applicants come into the, the office now and they say, hey, I want to become an airframe and power plant mechanic. And they're 18 or 19 years old. And I said, okay, that's great that you want to become a certificated mechanic. But as technology increases, you need to also have a specialty. So, okay, you want to be a licensed uh, helicopter aircraft mechanic, but you should also consider becoming an expert with avionics or, you know, electrical because employers, they want to get the most they can out of their money. So if they can hire you and you have your license, great. But if you have your license and you have a good background with avionics, it's higher probability that you're going to get hired versus someone with just a license that is scared of electricity or, oh, I don't like touching radios because the employer is going to make a decision and they're going to, they're going to hire the person that has the avionics background. Also, as drones, drone technology is increasing, young people should take an interest now in drone technology. We're advancing into electric aircraft also. So think about aircraft are going to progress, get out of the mindset of gas operated engines and all. It's, it's going to Within the next few decades, that's going to be in the museum. So always <laughs> think ahead. So yes. How did you actually get your first job? So um, <laughs> when I, I went to a technical school in, in Maryland for plumbing, of all things. I didn't even, oh. for plumbing. I didn't even know anything about aviation. <laughs> and the Army recruiter talked me into joining the Army. 
And uh, my scores were high enough when I did my test. He's like, you know what? We need people in aviation. And I was like, aviation, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so, but of course, they're recruiters and they're professional <laughs> getting people, convincing people to take a, a very good path. So I listened to the Army recruiter. And next thing I know, I'm working on Bell Jet Rangers in, in the Army. We just didn't call them Bell Jet Rangers, Bell 206. And 21 years of uh, helicopters in the Army. So wow. it, it was all based off of the recruiter putting me in the right, on the right path. Amazing. So 21 years and then the switch to FAA? No. So then after I, I retired in 2009 from the Army, it was a recession in the United States, uh, mm -hmm. maybe worldwide. So what I did, I went right back to Iraq and I contracted. I was a contractor in Iraq and I worked on Cessna Skymaster aircraft, the push-pull aircraft. Okay. And that was my introduction into fixed-wing aircraft because I was all rotorcraft uh, in the mm -hmm. army. So that was my introduction to fixed wing aircraft and it had N number, you know, tail number. So that was my path into, I'd say civil aviation. After that contract ended, my friend has a repair station for Cirrus aircraft in mm -hmm. Florida. And I, I helped him had beautiful, beautiful aircraft, air conditioning. <laughs> we would take, we would take our shoes off this new experience. <laughs> so that, At that airport in uh, in Florida, Sikorsky Helicopter has an academy there uh, teaching like LA County Fire, San Diego Fire. And that was my springboard into Sikorsky. So I did five years with Sikorsky Helicopter Company at their academy, uh, helping them teach new operators how to use their helicopters. Fast forward after that five years, a wonderful experience with some, some great folks. It was the right time to apply for the FAA, and here I am, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, a handful of years later. So, four it, years later, okay. Yeah, so it was just a great opportunity. It seemed like always searching for um, a little bit more responsibility, accountability, just, and uh, here I am. Can you describe a um, typical day of work for you? Oh, yeah. So, a, a typical day of work as an, an aviation safety inspector, you already know what you're basically going to do for the, for the next two years, because we have, it's called su a surveillance plan. You know that if you have 10 flight schools and you have some repair stations, they're planned out for the next two years, you know, so every January you're going to go to this flight school, ABC flight school. And then every December you go to this uh, other repair station that works on landing gear. So the calendar Is, uh, it's already planned out for two years. You have a two-year plan. However, in between there, we call it on-demand. That's mm. when you do everything else no, that's not planned. So the phone rings and someone's like, hey, um, I need to change my nationality on my license. You're like, oh, interesting. And you tell them what they need. So I need the forms from the consulate or whatever. You tell them what they need and they show up. So I would say half our day is scheduled and then half the day is on demand. And, and it's, it's a very good plan that, you know, big FA has, they've been doing this for so long that they have it really organized. And then of course, every a couple weeks out of, out of a year, you'll, you'll be on accident standby. You'll just, you're waiting for the phone to ring and that's from your house mm -hmm. where you, you have to do the accidents. And then we have some fun things, some like the Huntington beach air show is coming up in the summer. So those are times when you're at an air show all weekend. You're just representing the FA and you're okay. making, making sure everyone does everything right. So 
Like so, a, so we're representing uh, FAA at expos and yes, exhibi- uh, yes. exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. That, that's very fun uh, indeed. Are there any interesting anecdotes, you know, f- fun stories uh, that you can think of that happened uh, during one of those um, unexpected calls? Let's see. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's always fun to go represent the company, the, the agency at like at air shows because you are you're the face of the FA. So we're at the Huntington Beach Air Show, and everyone wants to come up, and they all they all have the same interesting questions for you. Like, what if what if I take off with this drone right now, and I fly this drone, and then you have to you have to kindly and gently tell them that's a terrible idea today. It's not a good idea any day, but today is probably the worst day. <laughs> but so you're the face of the agency, mm-hmm. but you're also you're not like a hammer. You're not just hitting people on the head. You're also showing, hey, the agency is, we're out here. We have the best interest, your best interest, the safety of the air crews. So I, I would just say that dealing with the public uh, face-to-face and showing them that, hey, we're just people. You know, I, I was a helicopter mechanic. Now I'm working for the agency. These It's just really nice to show them that we're just regular folks also that just decided to take this path. And, and I, I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy when someone calls and, and I answer the phone and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm calling from France. True story. Calling from France. And I'm like, interesting. Why are you? Uh, so you're calling the long where I work in California. They're like, yes, uh, I was trying to get all the other offices, but you answered and you're a person. You're not a computer. I'm like, good. What, how may I help you? <laughs> and it's so nice to really just run with it. So. So, okay, I, I own this now. How may I help you? And they're like, oh, it's a nationality change. I'm like, all right, well, here's what you need. Let's let's make this happen. So it's really a good job to to be that good government employee and show the people that what they're getting for their tax money also. <laughs> Has there been some uh, tough situations where you had to be more firm or there were maybe more serious um, events or maybe accidents that you had to be witnessing? Yes, there are, but we always have, it's called a, like dignity and respect. You're, if you ever had to go to something, an accident and the, and the cameras of TV crews are there. Fortunately, we, we go to a school for, for accident investigation and we learn how to speak to the media. We learn how to do interviews with witnesses, but it's uh, dignity and respect because the, it would look so bad for the if, if the family's watching the news and you as the inspector, you're on TV and you're smiling for some reason. Right. So you have to realize that, okay, this job is very serious from as soon as you show up to an accident until you leave, do everything proper and always be very serious about it. So yeah, there's, so there's some sad days like that and investigations. We just, we're very, very fair. The FAA is not trying to hurt anyone okay. because we just, our employees are also pilots. Why would we want to hinder someone, you know, because we don't want to lose our license either. So, mm-hmm. so it's very fair. So I'm thinking uh, for someone who would like to work at FAA, does he or she need to go, you know, a similar path that you took or could, for instance, this person come out of, uh, say, uh, civil aviation, you know, flight school, and then work at FAA? So there's a few jobs out with the agency that don't require you to have a, a license. So I, I have an AMP license, but there's other jobs in the agency 
that they're not required. So you could be an aviation safety assistant or where you can still get into the agency and you could have, you're in the agency, you're still dealing with the public. Uh, it's a really interesting foot in the door, but you're not going to be a, a aviation safety inspector like me with, without the license. It's just one little requirement. So there are other ways to get in, into the agency, but my specific one, you have to have the, the license, which that's why most people progress from being a mechanic somewhere or they're a pilot and then they just progress into my job. But there are other avenues where uh, you don't have to have the license to, to join the agency. You were telling me before the interview started that you've traveled um, a lot also through your uh, previous job. If I think of a similar, you know, the equivalent of FAA in Europe, uh, which is EASA, are there similarities in, um, in the job that you do? Or would you have to learn new, you know, new rules and regulations in order to, to do your job in Europe? Okay, so uh, interesting. EASA and the FAA, of course, we have the same goal you know, uh, safety, just safety. I've never dealt with anyone from EASA in person, but I've spoken to them, uh, on the phone and, and email. So they, each one has their same, the same, same desire for safety. I don't know the actual criteria to, to apply for the jobs with EASA. However, it's headquartered in Germany, I believe. I believe the right. headquarters there. So yeah. you can go online and see where they're looking for uh, what type of employees they're looking <laughs> for. But I don't know their criteria. I apologize. Okay. So you, you would uh, you would not be able to work at EASA tomorrow, for example. No, and I definitely can't because there's going to be uh, criteria about, I think, residency mm. in, in there. So okay. no, the so an, an FAA employee from the United States, I'm not going to work for EASA. In Europe, okay. I probably also would not know their rules enough either. I would. Right. So no, I, I don't see that being a, a transition, but people that are in, in Europe working there and have, and that's their whole mind is around those rules. They would have an easier way of getting in, but I would not be able to. And in terms of safety and authorizations, uh, you know, worldwide, do these agencies in the different continents talk to each other and try to find a, a streamlined uh, regulation? Yes, yes. They're called bilateral safety agreements. So, yes, the, the FAA, South Africa, the Philippines, there's other there's countries where we have bilateral agreements where why would you make why would you make some someone reinvent the wheel to right. how they're going to fix a, a helicopter somewhere. No, we let's, let's just say our rules, all each agency, their rules are all about safety. Let's just look at the rules, say, okay, yes, we all agree that they're all the same. They're all basically safety oriented and let's have an agreement where we're going to accept each other's rules. Okay. Um, so, and uh, also in Canada. So there's, there's an agreement already where, we accept their data that how they're going to fix something and vice versa. There's mm -hmm. so that, yeah. Okay. Cause that would be, it would be impossible to try to keep up them with, with what every country had if we didn't have these bilateral safety agreements. Right. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's very important, especially for the future of aviation. And if you were mentioning briefly, uh, you know, the electric aviation and the passenger drones or cargo drones. Uh, how, how do you see that panning out in the future? It's coming regardless of your opinion. You cannot stop it. It is, it is happening and 
anyone that's going to think about getting aviation needs to already know that regardless of your opinion about it, <laughs> reciprocating engines and all that's going to be, that's going to be in the past. It's going to, it's going to go electric. It's going to go, drones are coming like the Jetsons, the, remember the, the cartoon, the Jetsons, you know about that? The uh, little, no. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so the, the, it's like the Uber, these electric aircraft, vertical takeoff and landing. It is going to happen. We're going to, you're going to go to an airport, a small airport. You're going to get in your, your vertical takeoff and landing, like Uber aircraft, mm-hmm. and it's going to take you to a larger airport and it's going to, you know, it's going to vertical takeoff and landing that is happening. And it's going to, eventually it's going to be autonomous. I'm ready to do it. <laughs> I, I have confidence in this, you know, that I'll sit in there and let it, you know, it, it takes off with no pilot. And it's so it's happening. You're going to have to have confidence. You're, you're trusting software, but they go all the way to the International Space Station, right? 19 hours. And that's autonomous. They're, right. they're, they're no longer, they don't steer that thing. And so, <laughs> so you have to have confidence in the, in, uh, in the system. And it will, be, system, it, and will, it will be FAA that will define the rules on how to it, manage. The it's new. already happening. Yes. It's already yes. happening. So there's already rules, 14 CFR 107. I think that's for the drones. There's, so there's already rules that where the rules for safety so that how high can a drone be off of a building, like the, the 400 feet above the highest point for safety so that a, the worst thing that could happen, we don't want a drone hitting a helicopter, right. breaking out the window. So so these rules are already in work. And if there was ever a need to modify them, the FAA would, would make that happen also. Okay. So so yes, it's it's happening. There are people right now, they're dedicated to rulemaking uh, and that's their that's their lane rule-making. not my lane but that's theirs <laughs> okay how many positions are there like yours at faa in the united states you know i don't know <laughs> okay i i apologize i don't but there are thousands of faa employees you know there's there's thousands but that's only that's a small number compared to the thousands upon thousands of pilots and, pilots and, right and businesses but there's thousands of us <laughs> <laughs> okay excellent and uh what do you see for yourself in the future so i retired from the army uh healthy thank god only one injury in iraq uh so i'm learning i'm learning everything i can with this job but i see myself going in to uh, helping uh, mission aviation so Folks that are out there doing really good work with aircraft uh, on the mission field. So uh, that that's what I would like to do. Where all the things I've learned throughout all this time, how can I put those to work in a good way? Mm. And uh, so you have, can I mention company names? Yeah, sure. So you have like Samaritan's Purse. Samaritan's Purse. As soon as there's a a hurricane, earthquake, the Ukraine, things like that, that organization loads up their aircraft. And they're flying somewhere safe, and then they're and then they're kicking out the humanitarian aid. So, helping an organization like that, who's doing the greater good, uh, is kind of my that's one of my goals. So right now, I'm I'm finishing my master's degree in aeronautics, and in the future, I'm looking at doing some volunteer work uh, for some good organizations. That's very honorable, yeah. and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for being part of uh, the podcast, and uh, super interesting, and I'm sure that it's been helpful and uh, informative. Thank you. Many more jobs coming up on Job Tales. Stay tuned and spread the word. I'm on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. 
just tap Job Tales Podcast, all one word. See you next week.